All right, let's get ready to get into some word here today. I believe the Lord has something good in store for us. Go over uh, in your Bible with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark the 6th chapter. And I want to begin reading here in the very first verse. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. Encourage you to write in the margins of your Bible. Take notes. Do whatever you need to do to to remember the things that the Lord says to you, the things the Lord reveals to you. It'll be helpful in the days to come. Verse 1, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Side note, do you notice that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, should no longer be called the Virgin Mary? That's just a side note. Lots of kids going on here. Only one of them came through uh, the Holy Ghost. All right. So they were offended at him. Verse 4, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Verse 5, Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out, he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. All right, I want to share with you today uh, the second part now in a new series we began last week, and I'm talking to you about this subject called unbelief, the ultimate blessing blocker, all right? It will stop the power of God right where it's at and keep it from intervening and changing our lives. But notice the language here, again, in verse 5. The Bible said that He, and He is Jesus, but we pointed out to you that Jesus is working in connection and direct cooperation, connection with the Father, so He could also be, we could just say God. We could say Jesus. We could say the Holy Spirit. Uh, we could say uh, the grace of God in, in, in many regards here. But it says that He could do no mighty work there. Didn't say he wouldn't do it. Didn't say he refused to do it. But literally, it says that he couldn't do it there. All right. So God was stopped. He was stopped from doing what he wanted to do in these people's lives. And Jesus finished the discussion by, by, by well, I mean, Mark, who wrote this, finished telling us about what Jesus said. And what happened here is that Jesus was marveling or he was amazed, he was taken aback by their unbelief. 
He was not, he was not applauding them. He was not uh, impressed in a, in a good way. He was shocked because their unbelief was so powerful that it was able to stop miracles from happening. It was able to stop God from doing what he wanted to do. And again, I know that flies in the face of of much theology that that Christians have. Many people believe that that God can just do anything. He can go anywhere, anytime, anywhere he wants. And he can do anything he wants in, in my life or other people's lives. Not so. Not so. He works in, in connection with, in concert with the body of Christ, with us, with individuals. And when they will, will not or do not, either one, believe in what he promised, what he said, what he offers them, then he himself is restricted from moving in their lives. And when I see this, I recognize, wow, this is a big deal. Jesus had a pretty bad meeting here. Jesus had a kind of a flat meeting. <laughs> Makes me feel good. I had some before. You know, it's like, wow, that was tough. Tough crowd. Yeah, Jesus walked away saying the same thing. <laughs> Guys, tough crowd here today. Full of unstinking belief. <laughs> and, and, and he was not able to do much there. I mean, the sick people, the most of them, uh, came to the meeting sick and left sick. People came, I would say, probably maybe with some mental situations and some sadness and depression and demonic torment, and they left with it. And Jesus was the preacher. I mean, you got to know something's wrong. <laughs> You've got to stop blaming God when Jesus is the preacher. <laughs> and, and so this was what was going on here. Likewise, uh, many today uh, come short of God's full blessing and power because of this same reason. All right. It's not that people don't believe anything good, but it's this issue of unbelief that pulls against what we do believe. It's this issue of unbelief that is tugging against our heart and, and being in opposition to what God wants to do. It's hindering our faith's ability to enjoy God's grace and His best in our lives. And so, uh, this is really the reason why Jesus sometimes would go off into seclusion when ministering to people. In fact, why don't you look over with me at Luke chapter 8. And, and, and this, this principle that you see here very lay, laid out and clear in, in Mark 6 is also uh, reiterated in different forms and fashion. You can see the same principles at work in other Bible places. In Luke chapter 8... And, and verse 51, uh, let's see here, Luke 8, 51, this was the, a, a girl who had died, and we're just kind of picking up at the end here, verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. So the girl's, the girl dies. He basically, you read the whole context, he says, ah, she's just sleeping. Well, what is he saying? This is temporary. How many know, if you've got a problem today, if you've got an issue that's contrary to what, what Jesus promised, what God provided, what the Word of God says, you ought to look the same way at it. Temporary. Temporary situation. Not permanent. Someone said, well, they, they told me that I'm just going to have to learn to live with this. I need to adapt my lifestyle to live with this condition because there's no fix or there's no cure. Well, you can believe that if you want or you can believe something better and say, nope, temporary. 
Say it out loud. Come on, if, you, if, you've, if you've gone through a financial uh, hiccup in your life, what should you say? Yeah, don't see anything negative as permanent. The Word of God is permanent. God is permanent. He is forever. His Word will never pass away. He changes not. But these things of this world, man, they're up and up one day and down the next. And let's not be swayed and moved. Let our emotions be going that way. Temporary. Got a problem in your relationships? They can be fixed. Say, no, no, you don't know my situation. Temporary. God can move in any situation. Yeah, He's the quicker fixer-upper. He can turn your situation around and, and has and will do it again. But uh, again, no, notice that these people, they were mocking. They were laughing at him. He thinks she's just sleeping. They're laughing. What are, what are they doing? They are so full of unbelief. Jesus said, get them out of here. Get them out of here. And he said, Peter, James, John, parents, you guys can come in. Let's go up and do business now. Let's get these unbelievers out of here. Well, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, no, only if you want results do you make uh, do things like this. Go, go to Mark, just uh, close to where you were, but Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, here's another one. 8 and verse 22. It says here, but uh, then he came to Bethsaida, and, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So... He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And then he, you know, spit on, it's one of those spitting ones. Uh, he spit on his eyes and put his hands on his, and, and so forth. And he worked with him until the guy got healed. Someone said, why did he take him out of town? Well, you know, maybe he's remembering two chapters ago in his life. In our, in our Bible, he's remembering two chapters ago when he went into his hometown and went there to do the works of God, to help people, to get them healed, to get them set free from their problems. And they, with their unbelief, shut him down. And he said, you know what? Let's get out of town this time. This guy needs help. We're in a place of extreme unbelief. And if you read the context, you, you look at the, the place he was at, that's this place called Bethsaida, uh, and uh, in other places, they were rebuked for their, for their rebellious hearts, their unbelief. Jesus spoke very strong words to them. This is the place where he's at. He's trying to minister in an environment where people are unbelieving. People are refusing to believe. And he said, I'm not going to deal with this again. I, I want this guy helped. I want to get this guy set free. Let's, let's go out of town and then we'll take care of this. Say, was that necessary? If it wasn't necessary, he wouldn't have done it that way. I mean, wouldn't you, just as a, as a human being, I mean, Jesus was operating as a man, wouldn't you just pre- rather, uh, you know, prefer that if you've got a bunch of skeptical, unbelieving, rebellious people to go, hey, you turkeys, watch this. And the blind guy goes, bang. Now what are you going to say about that? But how many know the things of God don't work that way? As a general rule, you don't uh, fix someone else's unbelief by performing a miracle in front of them. In fact, they're a very, they're, they are the very hindrance to that miracle taking place. 
And so he was compassionate on the band, and he said, let's get out of here. They got out of town, and then the power of God flowed. You can still, he still had, you can see he still had some unbelief. He had to work with the guy a little bit if you read the context, but he got his sight fully restored over a period of, of, of a little bit there where he had to work with the guy and do the whole mud and spit thing and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he got the guy restored. There might be a time in your life when you're dealing with something and you're believing God, you're standing on His Word, and you need to get away from some people. There might be a time in your life where you need to have some distance, some separation, because you see what God has promised, you see His best, you see His Word, but everyone around you, maybe it's those in your own family, maybe it's those, uh, the, your friends, those you, you associate with, are just negative people. They, 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 just have, have, they just have so very little faith. In, in the things of God. And when you speak positive, they're, they're negative. When you say it's just temporary, they say you need, to, you need to wake up and live in reality. You know, you, you need to just accept things the way they are. Well, if you stay in that environment, their unbelief will probably influence and affect your belief. And sometimes there needs to be a little bit of separation. Just get away for a little bit where you can believe God all by yourself or find yourself, like we talked about before, some faith friends, right? Talk, talk, uh, talk about, uh, uh, you know, find some people who will believe God with you and will increase the environment of belief. And therefore, you, you'll be able to receive what God ha- has, has promised you. Okay, recognizing the the damaging effects of unbelief will necessitate at times separation, uh, and and so we can believe God unhindered. Now, now look with me at at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter seven. All right, that's way back: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you too. <laughs> the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and you see, uh, I just want to show you some more. I want this, this principle to be well established. It's not something we pulled out of the air or took from a half a verse of Scripture, and we're proclaiming this, that, uh, that God can be stopped or hindered or shut down from working, uh, and we don't have a sufficient support for it. We actually have many, many Bible verses. I want you to understand that you have the ability to invite or to reject God from moving in your life. We as a, as a corporate group, as a church, have the ability within ourselves to come together in unity, in confidence and faith, and believe God, and all things are possible to him who believes. Or we have the ability to allow this evil force, this hindrance of unbelief to exist in our hearts one at a time. We come together, it's powerful. I mean, we can stop God from doing almost anything. That was not supposed to be a positive. I don't mean we're going to stop Jesus from coming back or, you know what I'm talking about, or we're going to stop the overall arching plan of God, but from impacting us on an individual level and even on a corporate level within our church, we absolutely can. We can create an environment here where it's so hard for people to get their prayers answered, where it's so difficult for people to, to receive healing, and, and whether we're talking physical healing or, or relational healing or, or any of these things. We can make it so difficult to where hardly ever anything happens. And by the way, uh, you know, newsflash, that's the case in many churches across our land today. I mean, it is so very rare to see people get their prayers answered if that ever happens. It's just all talk. It's all social. There's no intervention of God in the place. And the people, the the church has been baptized in unbelief. And they just say, well, it must be the will of God. It's not the will of God. I mean, when did God become that way? 
At what point in Scripture did he stop moving? Did he, did he cease from his intervention in people's lives? That's not what he has ever wanted to do. You see, but we've got to give place and we've got to educate our own hearts to believe in his goodness and his power and his love and his promises. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17. Look what it said. The Lord talking here, he said, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? Think about that for a moment. Did you get that? If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, How can I dispose them? God wanted them to, quote, dispose of these nations. He wanted to give them this land. He had promised them things. He wanted them to possess, to obtain. But he said, if you say in your heart, they're bigger than me. They're stronger. This is a this situation is, is too big a deal. It's too powerful. It's too, uh, too, too much. I can't handle it. Then God said, how am I going to do anything if you say that? How can I work in this situation if that's what you say? How can I dispose of them? See, this is, again, this powerful principle that what I say gives place or limits what God can do in my life. God can say one thing, I've given this to you, this is yours for your possession, I want you to have it, but, and I can respond to that by saying, absolutely, let's go do it. Let, here, here I am, let's do this right here, right now. Or I can say, oh, oh no, I don't see how that can happen. And you see what happens here? I just tied the hands of God. I just re- removed his ability from bringing to pass what he planned before I even showed up on the scene. It's a very powerful place that God has given us in His ultimate plan that He has given us the right to accept or reject or to continue on or to be a hindrance to what He wants to do. But if he, again, He said, if you say, then how can I, I being God, if you say this, how can I do this? You ever heard that uh, famous quote from Henry Ford? He, 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 said, uh, he said, the man who thinks he can... And the man who thinks he can't are both right. Yeah, that's the, that's the same principle. These things are going on in our lives today. Unbelief in your heart will cost you. It will cost me. This is not an insignificant, trivial condition that we should ignore. We need to take an active stand against it in our lives. We need to deal with it. Deal with it, you know, like a, like a plague. It is a serious heart condition. I mean, if some of you have or have had, you know, physical problems, a heart condition, how many know that's kind of serious? You know, if someone's got heart issues and blocked valves and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's some serious action taking taking place usually in the medical community to relieve that condition and to fix a person because they know your heart stops, (laughs) you stop. Right, your heart stops pumping. You're out of here, and so they take drastic steps to 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 uh, to fix that problem. What if the now when the Bible talks about heart, you know, it's usually not talking about that pump you got in your chest. It's it's talking about the very center of who you are. It is the spirit of man and the soul of man. It, it, it is the inward parts of you. If that is not right, if it is not in a proper position. Everything else in life blows up. 
It is so serious that if we don't deal with heart issues and we are focusing on external issues, we, we're always going to live on the brink of disaster. But yet if our heart is trained, if it is, if it is taught, instructed in the ways of God and the ways of belief, then we can ov- overcome anything that is on the outside. God designed that we would be this way. Listen, how many know our bodies are temporary? They absolutely are. Our bodies are aging. Our bodies are temporary. Uh, one of these days, we're going to step outside of our body and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, one of these days, you know, when Jesus comes back, our bodies will be changed in a moment and we'll get a glorified body. But our bodies in our present condition, it's not a permanent deal. This is not who we are. Everybody with me today? Your body is not who you are. It's just your house. It's your earth suit. You know, you slipped in and you'll slip back out. And, uh, and, 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 and things will change. So what do we work on? You know, I'm not opposed to working on the body and keeping it in shape and good health. I mean, there's some attention that, uh, you know, is right to give there. But far greater, far more important is the inward man. Far of far greater importance is the believer on the inside of you. When that person has got their act together, oh yeah, now, now, uh, now you're a force to be reckoned with. Now you're someone that God can speak to, work with, and bring His will to pass in life. You know, again, though, unbelief in the heart should be taken very, very serious. More serious than a physical heart condition. More serious than they said. I, they said I had a tumor. Well, that's not near as bad as, as having unbelief in your heart. I mean, not even close. I know, but they said it's like stage whatever, tumor. So, I know that. Uh, I'm not saying that's not a serious physical condition, but way more important than that. Let's keep things in perspective. Way worse than that. Way worse than that would be to have a heart of unbelief. Way worse. You know, people are in hell today because of unbelief. Not because they had a physical problem. Not because they had a trial and test in their life. Because of unbelief. Look over at Matthew 17 with me. See, many times people's problems in life are not as a result of what they think it is. They think, well, it's a, it's a financial problem. Or it's a health problem. Or it's just a, it's an opportunity problem. I need more opportunities. I need open doors. I, uh, or it's an education problem. My problem is education. I didn't get enough education. I didn't have what other people have. Uh, you know, and, and all kinds of things that, that we, can, we can throw in this. But the reality is the problems that people face are unbelief problems. It's a matter of unbelief overwhelming their belief. It's a matter of unbelief. See, you can have... Uh, God's best in your life, you can have success and victory and, and have an overcoming life and have a happy marriage and, and, and relationships and friends, have all these things, you can have them in your life even without coming from a place where you were highly financed or you were highly educated or, you know, you were born with good genes or, or something of that nature. See, belief in your heart can overcome anything that's wrong in this life. Again, I don't think I'm making this up. I'm, I'm remembering very famous words that all things are possible to him who believes. In, in Matthew 17, uh, verse 19, see this man had this 
son that was having seizures and stuff had a demon. 17, 19, then the, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? In other words, they tried to cast this demon out and it didn't go. Now, how many know that's where a lot of, a lot of uh, new doctrines get made up? We tried to cast the demon out, it didn't go. Well, you never know what God's going to do. Sometimes it's God's will, sometimes it's not. Sometimes He's just teaching you a lesson. Sometimes, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of uh, new beliefs about God come up in situations where something, quote, doesn't work. But that's not what Jesus said here. He didn't say, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. You know, good try though, guys. Nice job. I mean, you looked good while doing it. You know. (laughs) Come on. Verse, Verse 20. They said, why couldn't we cast it out? So Jesus said to them, it's because of your lack of education. It's because you come from the wrong side of the tracks. Huh? No, he said, it's because of your unbelief. Well, Jesus, you're attacking my faith. Well, Jesus was right. How many know if someone's right, they're actually trying to help you? Jesus said "Is what? Now, how many know a lot of, a lot of Christians, they are, are, we're afraid to talk like that? I mean, because it seems personal. Huh, that's offensive. Well, I think from God's perspective, we ought to see it like He does. Your unbelief is offensive. Thanks for, for leading the charge there. Saving me from a real quiet moment. I mean, could we consider that? You can't attack my believing. You can't attack my... Well, what if that's the problem, though? Can I make a side note here? How many know that if someone has demonstrated a life of consistency, of faithfulness, it is an insult to them when we distrust them or have unbelief in them? Now, if you meet a stranger or you meet someone that's been unfaithful or unreliable, you're not supposed to trust them, right? But when we're talking about the Lord who has never let us down, who has been faithful, if He lies, you'd know it in a moment because the universe would blow apart and maybe we wouldn't know it. (laughs) You know, because everything is held together by by the integrity of His Word, how He cannot lie. All right. When God, who is that way, gives us a promise and we go, well, maybe. That's insulting. He has not deserved that. He has not earned that questioning from those of us who know. Now, you might be new to all this and this is the first time you've ever heard this stuff and you're having questions. Well, that's coming from a different place. I'm not saying you're being offensive to God. You're discovering right now. But when you find out and when you know and when you have a a track record and experience with God and you still distrust Him, that's offensive to Him. How dare we treat Him as if He's some kind of liar, unreliable, unfaithful. We're not sure if He's going to come through. So we're going to take all of our time worrying and living in fear and and living with this kind of anxiety in our lives because God might not come through. Mm. I don't think we ought to say that to him. So Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here, and it would move, and nothing will be impossible for 
you. Jesus cut right down to the heart of it. He looked at his disciples and said, dude, it's your, it's your stinking unbelief. That's why this didn't work. That's why this didn't work in this situation. You know, there are multiple kinds of unbelief if you really uh, analyze it. Uh, let, me, let me show you two kinds of unbelief. And so we can differentiate between the two and identify them uh, potentially existing in our lives and rid ourselves of them. Okay, First uh, Timothy chapter one, First Timothy chapter one. This is the first kind of unbelief that can exist. Uh, Paul here, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and he made this statement in verse thirteen, First Timothy one thirteen. He said, "Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor." And an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. How did he do it? Why did Paul, you know, formerly known as Saul, why did he act the way he did? Why did he carry on that manner of life? He did it out of what? Out of ignorance. It was unbelief, most certainly. Would it still cost him? Yeah, unbelief is a dangerous thing, worse than a heart attack. Okay, but why did he do it? He said, in my case, this is why. He said, I received mercy because I did it in, un, in, in ignorance. In other words, I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know any better. I think a large part of our world is, is, is in that situation right now. You know, we think, well, there, when there's so many churches around, people, no one should be ignorant today. Well, the problem is not everything done in a church building necessarily is inspired by the Lord. Not everything done in the name of God came from God. Not every message preached with someone holding a Bible in their hand necessarily was accurate. How many know the scripture says that we are to rightly divide the word of truth? You can use this book and beat people up. Make them feel lousy. Make them feel condemned. You can give them no hope. You can tell, you can tell them all the negative stuff. I mean, how many know that doesn't help? Or you can preach Jesus. The love of God, victory. You can pre- preach Christ in us, the hope of glory. You can, you can talk to people about God's love and desire to bring them up and to bring them out and to give them life forevermore and a, and a relationship with Him. Come on now. Not, not everything going on in, quote, church is of God. Not everything done in the name of the, quote, gospel is actually gospel. Because gospel is good news. It puts faith in people's hearts to rise up and to come out. And so Paul in this situation, uh, he was talking about how he was acting, acting in unbelief ignorantly. I think there's a lot of that going on again in our lives today, in churches today, in, in our country today. People, they say, well, there's churches everywhere, but people don't know the truth. People haven't been told clearly how good God is and how he wants to bless and help and lift and encourage and inspire and give them eternal life. And, and, and so, so much what is preached is just condemnation and defeat. And so there's one type of unbelief. It's called ignorance. How many know the answer to that would simply be the opposite? I've got to learn something. I've got to find something out. Jesus in his hometown, remember what he did after he marveled at their unbelief? He went in a circuit around all the villages there teaching. He wanted to give them knowledge. He wanted to give them hope. He wanted to give them something that, that could educate their heart in believing so that God's will could be done in their lives. Okay, and so the second one is found in Hebrews chapter 3. The second one, so there's unbelief based upon ignorance, and then there's unbelief based upon, 
Are you ready? It's based upon rebellion. There's unbelief that is based upon rebellion. This is the type of heart that will not be persuaded. They refuse to believe. They have a demonstration before their eyes. They see what God is. They've heard the truth. They know it's there. But they stiffen their neck and harden their heart. And they take a stand against and say, Bless God, no, I'm right. Bless God, this is the way I've always been. This is the way I believe it. This is the way I see it. This is the way I understand it. And I'm not going to be moved. And that is even a more serious condition of unbelief than the ignorance, the ignorant one. How many know, just don't, not knowing something, I just need to be told. <laughs> I just need to be taught. Give me some information. Tell me the truth. And if I'm seeking God, He'll send a messenger into my life. He'll send the message to me. He'll open my eyes. He'll help me to see it so I can believe it. But if I've got a heart that says, bless God, I'm just going to be this way. This is the way I am. And nothing you say can change that. Nothing you do is going to alter me from this condition. Then I'm in serious trouble. Okay. Here, here's, here's an example. We'll just read part of this. But Hebrews 3 and verse 12 It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Notice the language it used. Not not just a, a problem heart of unbelief. He said, an evil heart. This is an evil heart of unbelief. And when a person has this, what have they done? They have departed from the living God. They had left God. They have left His plan, His purpose for their life. They have departed, and it is called an evil heart. Verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's one of the reasons we get together. It's one of the reasons we enjoy rich fellowship and worship God together is because we are together serving Him and we can pat each other on the back and say, come on, we're going to win this thing. We're going to overcome and have success in life. And when temptations come to any of us to go astray or go, go the wrong way or do the wrong thing, there's someone else standing there saying, come on, get up, you can do it. We're going to make it. God is on our side and we inspire one another on to love and good works and, and following after, after the Lord. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, this kind of unbelief is unpersuadable. This kind of unbelief is, is, is based in a rebellious heart. You know, uh, the, word, uh, the word belief or the word translated faith in the, in, in the New Testament, the word pistis is the Greek word. It's translated faith, sometimes faithfulness. It's interesting to me in studying some of these things out. In one place, in, in the book of Titus, the translators of uh, you know, uh, New King James, King James, I don't know about all the translations, but they translated that word um, fidelity. It's the word for faith. It's the word for having a conviction in your heart. They translated it as fidelity. What, what, what do we mean by that? There is an element to our relationship with God where it is, it is like a marriage. It is like uh, when I allow my heart to be rebellious or having an evil heart of unbelief, it's like infidelity. How many know infidelity in a, in a, in a marriage relationship can be very harmful, very, very damaging? It's a, it's a betrayal of one's 
trust, of one's commitment. Likewise, it is when we, if we allow this evil heart of unbelief, and by the way, that doesn't happen usually overnight. It can happen over a period of time by, by what we allow in our hearts and in our lives. But uh, when we do, it can result in this evil heart of unbelief, which is simply being um, unfaithful to God. It is being, as, as, this, as this word, it is lacking fidelity. It's being an infidel. It's, uh, it's not being faithful to what he said. And then we can see here that much of unbelief really comes down to this. It's what we chose. I chose to go with what God said was possible and available to me. Or I chose to say, no, I can't accept that. I chose to say, no, I know you. your word says, I know this happened, but I can't get over what I see and what I feel. I believe that more than I believe you. Now, we might not express it that clearly, but in our hearts, that's where we're going. And he said, beware. Watch out, you guys. Beware of this. Watch out, lest there be, lest you allow an evil heart of unbelief to come into you. He's writing to believers. It could happen with us if we allow it where our heart becomes full of this type of unbelief, refusing to believe. And then we, and then we tell people, well, I just don't know why things aren't working out. Ah, liar. Huh? Come on now, let's be honest with ourselves. Because we need to be real with God so we can be real with Him and experience His best. Unbelief is something that basically, it's a heart that disagrees with God. He says, you can do it. And you say, I can't. And we're looking at the problem, we're looking at a mountain, looking at an obstacle. He says, I'm in you. You can overcome by me, through me. And we say, no, I can't do it. Whether there's fear, whether there's all these other things, but it's a refusing to let God's Word dominate our lives and our future. What do you say we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what my past, what my, my, my experience or what other people have told me, I purpose and I choose today, I believe you. I believe you are right. I believe you are faithful and true in my life. Amen. We can make that decision and that choice today. Stand up with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a few moments now. Let's express our heart, our confidence, our, our faith, our commitment, our faithfulness to God. Telling Him, Lord, whatever I see as soon as I know it. When you reveal it to me, I purpose in my heart to accept it, to submit to it, and to believe it. Amen. And let's take our hearts the right direction as we worship Him today. I'll be back in a few minutes.